0: It's a long, long way back. I believe the life- white coming out, Mike Chavez. Brock's new mechanic for this year is very excited. Tell him, keep your cool, Brock. You've got
1: one more lap to go on the pit board. The Yamaha factory pilot, whose uh, contract with Yamaha is done just a few weeks after this event is over, and he's letting them
2: remember how you spell Brock Glover at Yamaha. And he got into the lead by having good fortune and good brains. It was the main event that really caused everything to happen tonight. It was a crash that a lot of people thought might have been red flagged, but right Right now, we are still into it, a non-stop 20-lap race, and it has brought Glover with the lead because of this. Here's the
0: replay of the start. A Pulp MX Network production.
2: A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Five balls for Ryan <laughs> gets
0: five for Welcome to the Leanne raceables on pulpmx.com. Mathis and Weed revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow.
1: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Liat raceables podcast. Looking forward to doing this one as well. 1988 LA Coliseum. We'll tell you why we're doing it. We'll tell you what's up with it. Looking back on this, it's on YouTube as well. Thank you to the folks uh, listening to this. Pass it on. Tell a friend. All of that. Thank you to Liat. Liat.com. Of course, you know the Motor Concepts guys are running this Gear, helmets, boots, mountain bike uh, uh, protection as well. They make it head to toe, the folks at Liat. Different people ride for different reasons, yet there's a common denominator that binds everyone who puts their body in the line. For the sheer enjoyment of it, this is what Liat offers as a brand. They make protective wear, helmets, goggles, riding gear, knee braces, boots, neck braces. They cover riders from head to toe for both moto and mountain bike. But what Liat really stands for is the promise of things to come. They're in the business of making sure that you have the confidence and the equipment to push yourself faster, harder, and further than you ever thought you can go. Visit them at Liat.com to see the latest and greatest from those guys. And again, the Moto Concepts team running Liat this past year. Um, uh, they also, the Solitaire guys as well. So they make really great stuff. And the best part of this is if you want to get some Liat stuff, Email me using the contact form on poptimex.com, and we will pass it on to Liat. They'll give you a discount. Just uh, you know, tell me you listen to ReRacables. It's that easy. So thanks to the folks at Liat. Thank you to the folks at Scott as well. Scott Sports—they've been providing the best goggle in uh, the best goggle out there in all motorsports disciplines for over fifty years. Scott is a global leader in innovation, technology, and design. They've always been proud to support racing from grassroots all the way to guys like Anderson, Pro Circuit, uh, Chad Weenan, Walker Fowler, uh, Caleb Russell, and more. They all choose the quality product and support from scott scott is excited to relive iconic moments in the sport with the re-raceables podcast many of which have included scott goggles including i believe glover winning this in scott goggles scott the only goggle made in the usa thank you to those guys pro taper as well Uh, star yamaha using the bars rockstar energy husqvarna using uh, bars sprockets and chains protaper.com the acf bar is the first carbon fiber reinforced aluminum handlebar on the market it's the lightest one and one-eighth bar out there protaper.com and they uh, patented that crossbarless handlebar way back in the day, and they continue to elevate um, the game. With, check out their Sella starting device as well, self, self-engaged self uh, launch assist program. sella protaper.com. maxis Tires, Guts Racing. We'll tell you more about them later on in the show. But, uh, yeah, thank you to uh, everybody for listening. I'll get Weej on the line here. Let's break down LA Coliseum 88, a real unique race in the grand scheme of things. And uh, we'll also, of course, have our Leah, we race the most categories at the end. All right, let's go. All right, let's welcome in another uh, fan of the sport just like me to talk about the 88 Coliseum from RacerX Online. It's Jason again What's up, Weech? Yeah. L.A. Coliseum. Take advantage. Yeah. Take an
2: advantage. We got we – got. As he said, our guest for this show and the winner of this race, he's hot in the media right now. So why not? He, why not capitalize?
1: He is. We're going to have Brock Lover on, six-time a national champion. But here's the thing, though. Uh, yes, he's hot right now, and he's doing a great job with the TV broadcast, and we all knew that. But I don't know why it's taken us this many episodes of the Lee at ReRaceables to get Brock on because... No one in the sport maybe has a better memory of his racing career and 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 can articulate it than Brock Glover. Like, what are we thinking? Why are we? Why did it take this long to get Brock? On? Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it's true. Um, for me personally, I feel bad uh, for for Glover. For me personally, because I can literally there is a weird thing in life where it's like you get to a certain age when you can start intaking and understanding like how the world works, and I can articulate this right now because my son at age seven and a half suddenly went from like. Looking at sports, kind of, to like now wanting to watch all the games and memorizing all the players. And same thing with the racing. Uh, so for me, I think it happens around, like, you can watch stuff at five, but I don't think you're necessarily understanding everything you're seeing. And then I think around age seven to eight, you start getting it. So unfortunately for me, it's right around the time of this race, but this is the end, really, of Glover's run. Like, when is Glover in his prime? 84? Yeah. Uh you know, late yeah. 70s on a 125 through like 84, 85 and then 86, 87 he's hurt a lot. Um so for me it predates when I'm reading cycle news of yeah. these max. Now certainly I've gone back and I understand what he did, but I feel bad if he had one more good year. Like if Glover was on fire in 89, I'd be like, "Oh, I remember this race, I remember that race." Yeah. Um and uh it's unfortunate for a lot of these guys because these races weren't on TV a lot. And, uh, you know, Bob Hanna is certainly popular because his just legacy and lore is so huge that it carried on. But, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Has anyone ever watched Tony DiStefano ride? Are there any videos, like, of Tony D?
1: Well, I- I've got someone who came to teach a school after he was yeah. retired on a Husqvarna. The to Tony D
2: school, yes. Yes, yes. Wait, you have tape?
1: Yes, we have tape. We have VHS tape of it, yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. I'm just saying there's a certain level yep. of guys yep. where the sport was still in its infancy and they did their best work when. It was just some magazines and cycle news, and it wasn't on TV. I mean, obviously, Brock was a big part of the USGP, but that was once a year. Uh, so I feel like some of these legendary rides aren't legendary enough because not enough people uh, saw them. And, okay, our goal some days to have Stu on this pod, right? And Stu's amazing, and Stu's awesome, but what it also helps Stu is that every race Stu was ever in was seen by everybody on TV as it happened. And these poor 70s and 80s guys, Uh, You know, a lot of it's just, oh, I'm sure he was good, but I never saw it.
1: Right. right. Yeah, no, absolutely. For sure. Uh, Glover is definitely one of the all timers, um, but never won a Supercross title. uh, Could make a very good case that he should have won in 85. Um, There was a there was a, a controversy at the end of the race with Jeff Lord in a heat race going backwards on the track, which riding backwards on the track in that particular year had been penalized a bunch of times. Uh, it was a short little jaunt backwards to restart his bike, but rules are rules, and Wardy probably should have been take, uh, well, I don't know, probably should have been, let's, 50-50 call, let's call it a 50-50 call, Brock will disagree, but it, um, yeah. but anyways, uh, yep. 50-50 call that didn't go Brock's way, and Brock lost the title in 85 to Wardy. Uh, the Supercross title, and never never really got another shot at it. And this is 1988 already. He hadn't won a Supercross since February 2nd, 1985. And this is June 88. Uh, um, so this is a, a, a long time coming for Brock. And, again, probably should have been a Supercross champion or you know, could have been very easily. Uh, he'd won a bunch of races indoors. No doubt outdoors was better for him. There's no doubt. But he won a bunch of Supercrosses, and including this one in 88 at the end of the year couple things with Brock, and he's going to join us here on the Lee at Reraceables as well. So I have some questions for Brock. We're doing this before we talk to him. And yep. and and one of the questions I have, so this is the last race Brock races in America. Uh, professional, so Supercrosser, so Motocross. He started in 76. So now this is 12 years later, 88, and he wins it, right? And, and, he, and he rode for Yamaha b- virtually the whole time. He won this race, and then during the race, you know, we'll get into 86 and 87 a little bit with Brock, but during this race, Davis Stanfield says Brock's contract ends in a couple of months or a month or something, or a couple of weeks maybe. Weeks, yeah. And, 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 yeah. But there's still the 500 nationals to go. So I don't...
2: It blues, blew my mind the whole time. Yeah, I've never <laughs> understood. That was his best class. And, and Why do you have a contract that expires in June?
1: Why do you have a contract that goes through, yeah... 250 motocross and 250 supercross. And then that's it. Oh, sorry, Brock. That's it. Because Stanton is his teammate, and Stanton does the 500 Nationals. So there is a Yamaha presence. And, again, Brock had made his name in 500s. He, he, you know, yes. he, I, this is bizarre. Yes. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's one of my all-time uh, things. Um, I believe we did ask Brock about this. We had him on one of our live shows a couple years ago. Was that in St. Louis, I think? Yep. Uh, and I asked him then, but we'll, we'll ask him now. Uh, Yeah, a couple things about Brock. And here's the other thing about Brock. I want to go back to that not winning the Supercross title. So I feel like Brock does kind of get screwed. His legacy, because like I said, he I I think he had his best years just before the sport had a lot of TV and things like that. Like you watch Rick Johnson. you, You remember watching Rick Johnson somehow on TV being iconic, right? But it's like five years before that, things were a little bit different. And that's when Brock was in his prime. And also, he doesn't get that supercross champion tag. Like, think of how much different, fair or unfair, I believe he would be looked at if he had that supercross title. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing where, like, even if Jason Anderson didn't come back and win a bunch of races this year, he would always have that, but he won a supercross title tag. Right. And, And we've, I think, discussed that there are probably riders better than him that didn't get that title. But because of that, it leapfrogs him in, like, the Pantheon, and Brock didn't get that. So I think there's a couple things. Oh, the other thing that works against Brock, and he's very passionate about this, right? Brock mostly raced 125 and 500 Nationals. I think he only had
1: two years, one season yeah. of two. 83 yeah, and uh, maybe another one, but yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was eventually back in the 250s when they started splitting them, where you do half the year in a 250 and half in a 500. But... For all the time that the 500s and 250s were separate, I think he only raced to 251 of those years. So what's also a bummer for him is that every time Eli Tomac wins a moto or Ken Rockson wins a moto, where you look at the all-time list, and that is the all-time list of what was the 250 two-stroke class, now 450s, right? So it's almost like Brock's wins didn't exist. Uh, if you total up everybody's wins all time, they do. But every weekend at motocross now, we're going to be like, Here's the all-time 125-slash-250F list. Here's the all-time 252-stroke-slash-450F yeah. list. Yeah. So guess what never gets brought up? Right. Uh, Brock well, wins, and he didn't have a chance to get wins in that class because he didn't even race that class.
1: Yep. Yeah, he... Um, well, 85, he almost wins the Supercross title, and then 85, he beats Bailey for 500 Outdoors, which is an amazing accomplishment on a piece-of-crap yes. YZ490. But that's where, where Brock goes south a little bit, 86, first year production rule, he um, he he gets he breaks his wrist, right, and doesn't have a great year. Yeah. 87, he breaks his leg at Hangtown, yeah. I believe, so he doesn't get to ride 500s, he doesn't really get to ride 250 Nationals, um, you know, and he, oh, and I think he still has some problems with his wrists, because he doesn't do many races in 87 in Supercross, right, so... Now and then, now yeah. That's so, why
2: he's national number forty-four. Right, in eighty-eight.
1: Right, give an idea of and, and basically he twenty-four. And he was twenty-four in, in eighty-seven. Right, so yeah, injuries yeah. really hurt Brock in eighty-six and eighty-seven when he was still kind of in his prime. And now we get to eighty-eight, yep. and you know, obviously we'll talk to Brock about it. But two years of injuries, two years of inactivity, uh, some inactivity, and you know, it catches up to him. He's older at this point. Uh, And he stays with Yamaha the whole time. uh, Never gets off Yamaha, which he's covered that in a couple podcasts that I've done with him. Uh, Not the greatest bike, for sure. He had a chance to go to Honda. He didn't do it. Um, Yamaha's not a great bike. Uh, And so, yeah, he really, 86 and 87, look, in 85, he's at his, he's close to a peak. He's close to peak Brock Weber, 86, 87 injuries. Yeah. And now 88 comes and, you know, he's not the same guy but he does win this coliseum race. It's his last ever professional motocross uh national or supercross in America. And then the weird thing about Brock Lover, not weird, but cool thing I guess, is in 89 he goes to ride the KTMs for the GPs over in Europe one last go at it and he wins the last GP and then hangs it up. So Brock wins the last race he's ever done in in in, in GPs uh professionally. Yeah. Well, I mean, he came back to ride Golden yep. States and all that, but you know, but at a yep. high level and then he wins his last supercross ever like what who's done that <laughs> so. uh,
2: yeah yeah i, I know our, our guy Davey coombs that's one of his all-time favorite weirdo trivia things and if you go into the racer x vault uh glover is one of the few when you look through there his last entry in there is a one his yep. last entry yep. in a racing is a race win which okay uh ricky carmichael did that Uh, That's about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like,
2: not a lot of guys end their career with a victory. No. But Brock Lover did.
1: Yeah, he did. Uh, So let's go to June 18th, 1988, LA Coliseum. This is so imagine we, imagine in 2022, we go to Anaheim uh, in, in, well, 2023, we go to Anaheim and it doesn't count for points. Just doesn't count. It's just like a fair race because that's what happened in '88. Um, There was different promoters. Mickey Thompson had been uh, killed in uh, early January of '88. He was a promoter of Supercross. I believe
2: he was there. I think he was killed after.
1: Oh, after? Yeah, we're
2: actually using the word "killed" here. By the way, we're actually using the word "killed" as in murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shot down. Not a figure of speech. Right.
1: So Uh, you're right. You know what? He was. That happened after these Anaheim
2: races. The first race, uh, he was there for. Yeah, you think there's drama and controversy in the sport these days? Yeah. Uh, 88's got you covered, everybody. And yeah. honestly, uh, 85, because 85 wasn't even AMA, right?
1: Uh, yes. Oh. 80, well, there was three races in 85 for AMA.
2: Oh, God. Uh, yeah, Daytona Tal- and Talladega.
1: Talladega, <laughs> Daytona, and something else. Uh, yeah. Do you remember? And, yeah, so 80, anyways. Uh, um, so 88, we go to Anaheim, and it is a Mickey Thompson race. He's still alive at this point. You're correct on that. And it doesn't count because... The, there's there's a war going on with Michael Mike Goodwin and Mickey Thompson promoting races and somehow Mickey Thompson has a three races and this LA Coliseum race including the opener at Anaheim is part of a third round of a Super Crown of Stadium motocross series so there's another series going on that counts Anaheim one and then two other random races during the year the Coliseum and another one and then there's the AMA title which Which is everything else. Which is everything else, but but, no, no, I think it's also this race, too. This race is also AMA, I think.
2: Yeah, so uh, I I think what happens here is somehow Thompson is battling for control. What made Supercross a real mess back in these days is there wasn't one promoter. Like, now it's all failed, and before that, the various other company names, Clear Channel, SFX, Live Nation. But it's been one company since the 90s, and when one company ran it, you can see the massive gains the sports made when you just had one company doing everything every week back in the 80s right it was like a couple of promoters each having a race that's not the best setup it led to all this infighting peaking with thompson getting control i think it worked like he got control of all dirt events in these stadiums and by the way these are the three iconic venues at the time it is anaheim san diego and la coliseum steve you remember back in the 80s like the california races we didn't have sixty thousand people going to atlanta and indy like we do now. In those days, you get San Diego, L.A., and Anaheim. Well,
1: wow. that is; the, those are the crown jewels. Yeah, Anaheim, yeah. Anaheim before the remodel was sixty-five thousand. Yes, you know. Yeah,
2: yep. San Diego, Anaheim, and L.A. You've got the three biggest events on the calendar. Thompson somehow gets control of those. I don't know how the AMA and him or whatever they don't come to an agreement, so they don't um. count for points. But the teams, and I remember reading this in Cycle News, like the teams declared we will still race Anaheim, even though it doesn't count.
1: Yeah. Yeah um so and this is super a, weird yeah so there's three rounds uh, super crown of stadium motocross and then this, this is the 10th round of the ama series so 10 rounds not so 17. I guess yeah
2: there is yeah i guess by the so uh, anaheim and san diego are early in the year right there january yeah. february uh, my assumption is by june when this la one rolls around they all work They have out. finally made up
1: <laughs> i don't know uh, that, that's my
2: guess I, they're like you know what thompson's group you can still run your race but let's just count it for amy yeah who
1: that's my guess who knows right there's so yeah many uh, uh ins and outs of supercross promotion over the years uh this is david stanfield and bruce flanders espn um as well so i don't know if mickey had espn and just his races were espn or the other ones were espn yes. i don't really know yeah that's
2: a another great point i, I don't know how that worked in canada but uh Yes, that was another huge boost. Supercross was not on TV consistently, but Thompson had his truck races in ESPN, so he rolled these three into that package. So, although these were not AMA points counting races, at least the first two, yeah, they were on ESPN, which the other AMA races were not. So maybe that's part of the reason that the teams participated, and there was pretty big money on the line. What did they say? A hundred grand, a yeah. hundred grand. Steve was yeah. on the line. Yeah. Um, so these races were on TV. So to me, this was a huge thing for the sport, even though they didn't count for points. I remember watching the Anaheim and San Diego ones, uh, taped it on VCR, watching them a thousand times because they were literally the only Supercross races on TV uh, that year. And to just put a bow on all this, I think it got so crazy and so out of control. And by the way, Mickey Thompson did end up literally getting murdered, and
1: his wife too. There his was, wife too. Yep.
2: His wife too, and obviously, uh, Mike Goodwin the originator of supercross is in jail allegedly for this crime which he to this day denies that he had anything to do with it you can make up your own uh decision on that but it got so hot here including the death of a person that by 89 i think all the promoters like we gotta we gotta chill we gotta get together we gotta make this happen and the 89 season the core sponsorship, the camel sponsorship comes in. All the races are on ESPN. It is a much, yeah. much, much better organized program yeah. by 89. Because this 88 thing, to have Anaheim and San Diego. And by the way, do these count in the record book? Does RJ have the Anaheim and San Diego 88 wins? Does that count or no? I,
1: I think would. it doesn't. I would guess not. No. I would guess not. Oh, my right? God. Yeah. He just gets jipped. Everyone is there. It's a full race. Nobody skips it. Yeah, RJ every wins team, it, every right? Guy. Right, yeah. and then he's just not even on the record book, right? Yeah, no, I, I yeah, um, bizarre, right? Wow, and and, and the uh, and the interesting thing is that so Yamaha signs Mickey Diamond for eighty eight. Diamond yeah. crushes it at that opener in eighty eight.
2: Yeah, he gets second. He Gets 20. second.
1: Yeah, looks really good. Looks like it's going to happen and never really does. And then he's, he's sort of lost the history when you look at his 88 results, right? Because they don't count those races. But he was good in the Mickey Thompson ones. It was it was bizarre. Um, uh, talking about Brock.
2: Yeah, if you go back yeah. and watch the first race, that Anaheim 88, which I'm sure is on YouTube, Glover coming back from injury and Diamond moving to Yamaha as a full-time 250 guy is really hyped up like. Maybe these guys can battle RJ and Ward and Lachine, who were yeah. the three best guys at the time. Maybe they can. And at the end of that night, I think, yeah, I think Diamond gets second and Glover gets like fourth or fifth. You're like, oh, maybe Yamaha's really got something here.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then fast forward
2: to the end of the year, and they really did not. And then this Glover win almost feels like a surprise.
1: Well, you look at Brock's results yeah. this year. Again, coming off two injury-plagued years, uh, yeah. uh, 6, seven, six eight, four, seven, 12, uh, 10, 1. That's his supercross results yeah. from eighty eight, right? Um crazy, right? Yeah. And so yeah. and also too the so this is again, this is the LA Coliseum. Iconic venue up the peristyle twice. We did you ever go to an LA Coliseum event?
2: Uh X Games. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. so in a way I feel like I did. There wasn't a real supercross, but it was a supercross event, track, yeah. whatever. Yep, yep. Um uh, but not I mean, you were there in the 90s once when they yeah, came back? Yeah,
1: 97, we did a double. 97 and 98, we did two in a row, yeah. or one of the years we did two in a row. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So that was cool. Summercross, also at the Coliseum oh, as well. Oh, God. Uh, yep, who can forget oh, that? Boy. Uh, oh, boy. But, you know, if you, did you ever go walk up the peristyle? Like, it's steep. It was steep.
2: I guess I would have remembered if I did, so I guess I did not. I mean, yeah, much like a motocross race, right, the stadium, TV doesn't do it justice. How Big that stadium is, and how big that incline is. Um, I do know that. Like when you stand at the top, I don't think I walked down. When you stand at the top, you're like, holy Dude, crap!
1: Yeah, and so the guys are jumping down it in the with lights in their face, and it's all dark, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So you talk to anybody who raced there, they're like, yeah, it's kind of gnarly. Um, oh
2: yeah. And uh, yeah. those when it came back in the late '90s, and I believe that was only because Anaheim was getting uh, refurbished, so they had to move for a couple of years. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. When they went back in 97, 98, the, the track actually did use the football field like a normal Supercross.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. We did not go around it. Yeah. It was, uh, yes. it was all over it. Yep.
2: But all the other L.A. races, including this 88 one, they could, they never, I guess they weren't allowed to tear up the football field.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
2: So it would just be this giant oval horseshoe around the football field. And can I just say this? The tracks were garbage, Steve.
1: <laughs> they sucked. <laughs> they these L.A. tracks yeah. suck. Not not great. No, no. I'll agree with you on that. That's for sure. Uh, well,
2: where could you pass? Like, you can't put 180s. You can't put both uh, turns. I'll tell you what. It was basically. I'll
1: tell you where you can pass. Damon Bradshaw figured out where to pass JMB at the Coliseum. <laughs> <laughs> America.
2: Aim, aim for sp- America. Yeah, These colors aim don't run.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, I'll
2: just aim for his
1: motorcycle. <laughs> right at works. the top of the Coliseum, <laughs> nine, ninety-one. Weed ninety. What year was it? I don't know. But Bradshaw was ninety, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. pushes ba- pushes Bale out of the way into the into the, bur- the Bale. <laughs> yeah. um, no, they weren't yeah. good. They weren't good either. You're absolutely right. Um, so coming into this race, R.J. had uh, clinched the title already. Eighty-eight. Wardy didn't race. Uh, I think he, Wardy had ankle issues all for like two years, Morty's ankles were just oh God. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He hurt his ankle, I remember, at the New Jersey race, which I went to, and somehow he persevered and still won the 250 national title, but I guess he's like, yeah, I, gotta I gotta heal up I gotta for the outdoors.
1: And yeah. um, there's no doubt our guy Glover gets helped quite a bit by a massive first-turn crash caused by one guy, Cooper. Uh, oh. uh, Coop, well, Coop goes down the heat And then you know blitzes up, and and I think he makes it out of the heat. uh, But he, he, you know, from dead last, and then he sends it in the first turn. He's pulling a wheelie, puts his front wheel down on the slick California stuff, and uh, and just takes out Kehoe, and it's a chain reaction. And dude Johnson, everybody goes down. Brock, if you look at the footage, Brock's probably like tenth uh, in the first turn, but sneaks around it and comes out behind Doug Dubok. who who leads Brock uh, a nice bit of racing there to get through that
2: yeah they make a pretty good point Stanfield and Flanders and by the way the first two races on ESPN were David Stanfield and Larry Huffman and then Larry Huffman is gone replaced by Bruce Flanders I
1: I did not know Uh, that yeah who knows
2: yeah Huffman famous for those who have your phone number Steve famous yes as the voice of your voicemail. Yes. Uh, I get these. Yes, re- I get these. Re- I- gone. I
1: get these repairmen yeah. that call me, or whatever, or you know what oh, plumbers God. or people who are coming to the house, <laughs> and they're like, "I love that voicemail." And I'm like, "Thank you." I can <laughs> And all they right.
2: probably don't even know why.
1: Yeah. No, they have no idea. They just love the fact that it's, you know, Larry Huffman yelling and screaming about reaching Steve Mathis. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, but I-, I don't remember which guy either. W- w- one of these two announcers makes the awesome point in the heat race. Glover is battling, I think, with Lachine yeah uh, and he crashes, which gives him a bad gate pick, which actually saves him because he's away from the carnage uh toward the inside yeah
1: yeah he yeah. uh he 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 does he gets sneaks by and um um yeah he does a, he basically passes Dubok early and checks out right uh he almost yeah. i want to ask him about it he almost eats crap uh with a lap to go, front end gets a little <laughs> sketchy when he lands off a triple um but yeah we you're right track's not good and and Brock you know, it's a pretty lonely win for him. He just takes off with it. Um, he does say in, in the cycle news, it's it's the happiest I can remember being in my whole life. And I, and I understand it. He hadn't won since 85, Supercross, since 85, and, yeah. you know, two years of hellish injuries. I told yeah. him this last podcast I did with him, uh, the Steve Mathis show, uh, his crash in 87 at Hangtown on the last lap, breaks his uh, tib-fib, uh, gives rollerball the podium. So thank you oh. to that. Thank you, Glover, for that. Um he, uh, yeah, he uh, definitely um, uh, helps Canada out with that one. But, you know, yeah. I can understand him being that happy because, yeah, he'd been written off. He's, at this point, what is he, probably 27, but in 88, that he may as well be 67, you know, like as far as age. Yeah,
2: right? yes. yeah, in 80s years. Yeah, in 80s years, right?
1: So, you know, no one's picking Glover to win anything in 88, and he takes it, you know. and And, again, he's we got to get to the bottom of this no 500s and Yamaha there's a funny story after the race as well he's going to tell us about um so uh, a yeah. couple things also about this race uh RJ gets uh, what does RJ charge up to i forget fifth? i think fifth yeah he goes down again uh he crashes again gets oh, okay. fifth um uh, dogger gets second Duboc third this is Duboc's first podium in 250 supercross and he told the story on the pulp show um not that long ago um so this is his first podium and he our our guy Jim Hawley didn't make the main yeah. event. He was there, but Jimmy didn't make the main event in this one. Uh oh, God. He, neither did rollerball either. Bad bad night for rollerball. Um
2: Rollerball crashes in the heat, right?
1: Yeah, he does. And he, and then I read the second lose and he was in position in the LCQ and it just said he dropped back. What? Yeah. Yeah, I don't the know. The roller fading? I, I, don't know, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I don't want to talk about it. So anyways wow. uh Dubox said so this is his podium. And he told us on the Pulp Show that by the time he got back to his van after the, the, the champagne, the interviews, everything else, uh, Jim had a female in the back of Dubox Box van with the doors closed, and Dubox couldn't get in after this race. Wait, wait. in Dubox van? In Dubox van? I don't know why Jim <laughs> didn't use his own van. I need to borrow your box <laughs> I mean, it just adds. It just. Oh, Jim Holly. It just it never. Ends. So DuBox said oh, he got back after this race. This third place couldn't first podium ever. First podium ever. Couldn't get in his van. Jim was busy in the back of it.
2: Uh, it's unbelievable.
1: Yep. So that's. You the... know what though?
2: I mean, I'm sure he wasn't surprised.
1: No, no, he was just laughing. No. Yeah, he's just like, uh, all right, Jim. all right, Jim, I'll just wait. No problem. <laughs> So uh uh that's that's quite quite the story from uh Oh god.
2: Hey, how many how many factory riders did Yamaha have in eighty eight? Twelve?
1: Sean Kalos gets four. Yeah, Kalos, uh Dubach wasn't a and factory. Stanton in there somewhere. Yeah, Stanton was there, uh Kalos, uh Diamond Glover, four, I think. Or was no, yeah, Bowen was already gone. And Ka- and um Um Dubok was a, uh, a support rider at this point. Oh, okay, it so, wasn't so had,
2: full factory. Yet. No,
1: so they had four. Uh, but, yeah, Cooper Cooper causes Four, a massive crash. And, and, and uh, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, it must have been deja vu because if I remember right, I think the 87 Coliseum race, uh, RJ also goes down in the first turn and puts on this epic comeback. It looks like Cooper's going to win. Yeah. And, unfortunately, Cooper ends up not winning, which happens way too often. Yep. Uh, but as we've said on this show before, when you watch Cooper, Cooper is like a Cooper's like a cheat code in a video game. Like, when you see Cooper in these 80s races and you see like the jumps that he's doing and the things he's doing, it doesn't fit. Everybody else is – you watch a race of 30 years ago, Steve, and you're like, oh, they're, they're only jumping like 70% as big as everybody else is now. But Cooper, it's like he got beamed down from 2022, and he's just jumping – 2022 level stuff. Yeah, you just in 1987. In the, I don't know how he does this. In
1: the heat race, there's like an on-off on a table or something, or like a little thing, <laughs> yeah. and he just—you can see him in the background just sending it. He like mm-hmm. front end high, over jumps over some dude's head. Oh yeah, yeah. Um,
2: yep, yep. I'm going 40. Oh, you're only jumping 50 feet. I'm yeah. doing 90.
1: How? I, don't understand. I know he, he and then yeah, and so after in the quotes in Cycle News, everyone blames Cooper. Uh, all the quotes are like, yeah. Nice work Coop and you know what I mean like oh, every, God. yeah everyone everyone's <laughs> not happy with with Guy Cooper. Um which which fits fits that because there are some guys I mean I've talked to many of these legends that are like dude he was scary to be around and and, and a lot of people said that cuz yeah th- it was a cheat code like you said. Uh really really neat too. at some point in the heat Glover, Johnson, Lachine are there and like it's it's like young it's like um uh vet, veteran Glover then in the middle, there's Johnson who looked up to Brock, right? And then there's yeah. RJ, and then there's Lachine who looked up to RJ, and they're all from Alcajon. They're all like a few years apart, and they're three of the best riders in the world this time. Really, really neat story there, for sure, about that. And, you know, Burnworth's in the mix and some other, some other uh, El Cajon guys. But, you know, just basically, yeah, like you look at, like, at this point, they're three all-timers, and they're all spaced apart, and they all looked at, and Brock looked at Marty Smith. So, yeah, right? Oh, uh, was yeah. Marty
2: Smith? That same, like yeah. El Cajon.
1: Yes, Marty Smith was El Cajon. So, like, it's just insane the the lineage of these four great riders, right? So,
2: um, if I had a time machine, if I could go to any, my my daughter's big into history, and she always asks when I want to go back to, and she wants to go back to like colonial times, like uh, meet Alexander Hamilton, say, or George Washington. Uh, I would like to go back to uh, like 1986 El Cajon. That would be, I mean, you got to figure that's the life right there. Yeah, yeah. What What the heck was that like? Three or so of the top guys in the sport all living what in the same block and like really living there. Not we all moved to Claremont so we could train with Alan. No, no, like, that's yeah, where they're from. Yeah,
1: that's where they're from. And, and I think at this point we'll talk.
2: SoCal, God,
1: we'll talk to Brock. Amazing, but at this point I think Brock and RJ, are team, our partners in a supercross track. They built their supercross track together around this time. Um, so yeah, wow. yeah, kind of neat to do. Yep. Yep. Uh, also, last lap or a couple laps to go, Larry Brooks. Absolutely dies on the triple um, and explodes, <laughs> he and, does. and then RJ jumps over his head while he's picking his bike up. I reached out to Larry Brooks and said, uh, "Do you remember your crash off triple in '88 at Coliseum? It was so bad." He goes, "Oh, I remember. That hurt so bad. I landed on my feet and bruised my heel." <laughs> so, like a cat, Brooks lands on his feet. But yeah, it's it's not Brooks a good is pretty crash. Wild
2: too. No, uh, Brooks. This is not, by the way. If you go on YouTube, Brooks is famous for a crash. In one of the, the Mickey Thompson truck race events where they also had dirt bikes, where he li- literally crashed all the way down the peristyle. Yeah, clipped his Remember bar.
1: Yeah, clipped his bar and yeah. just sent it. Yep.
2: Yeah, so uh, Coliseum has some history for poor, yeah. poor LB. Um, also the announcer the- says he crashes, Steven. You hear him say, oh, no, don't land on him, please. No <laughs> one, please. No one land on him.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and RJ goes over his head.
1: Yeah. Um... All right, we'll do the re-racing categories as well after this. Uh, after we talk to Brock uh, and more, um, no 125 race, su- no 125 supercross race at this race because it was Mickey Thompson, but there was oh. there was a 125 ultra cross race. So I don't know. Yeah, same thing, right? Well, I, I guess I don't know. No, well, the same thing, but they have. It's very strange. So, uh, Larry Ward and Kyle Lewis win the heat, and then they start in the back row. This has got the passing points and everything. You know, oh, one of those. It's the yeah. format. It, they're on the same track, but it's a format uh, thing. And um, so the Loraco took the main event win. Kudrowski gets the overall winners, the overall honors because he got the most passing points.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, did they have streamers? Yeah, on helmets? they had did streamers they on
1: that? I'm sure they did. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, that
2: was a, an awesome Mickey Thompson gimmick of yeah, the fastest guy started in the back with streamers on their helmet so the fans could watch him right. come through. And honestly, it worked pretty well. Because I think a lot of the races, the guy would like go from last to, say, podium-ish. And like, oh,
1: can he go from last to first? It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I've been to a couple of them way back in the day. So this 125 main, LaRocco gets first, Kudrowski third, Craig fourth, Denny Stevenson uh, fifth, Jimmy Gaddis, 125 Supercross champion sixth, Rick Simmet, amateur motocross uh, guy um, seventh, Larry Ward eighth, Bader Mane ninth, but... Wrapped in second place, Paul Wynn on a Suzuki. Paul mm-hmm. Wynn. Yeah, maybe he's who's that guy for this. Yeah, he can make that. Um, uh, but, yeah, that's – and then the ultra-cross title was determined at this race as well. It was the last race of the year. Chicken got it. Uh, he didn't race because of an injury, but Chicken had enough points to clinch the ultra-cross um, point standings uh, by uh, 13 over Kradowski. So this was some sort of title that – you know, ultra-cross title that Chicken won in 125s. No footage. Uh, no he was footage. Really of,
2: good back then. I no surprise.
1: Yeah, no footage of it exists. Um, but Chicken was the '88. Was Chicken not the '88 125 Supercross champion? He was.
2: He was. Yeah. yeah so, so he right.
1: was rolling. He was rolling at this point. Yeah. So Chicken. Yeah. Chicken was on it. Um, and then yeah, no footage of this exists. But it's yeah, it's a different format. It's different weird stuff. But really stacked with like a you know who's who thing. I'm surprised MC's not in this because '88. 89 was MC racing a lot of ultra crosses, a lot of pro stuff at Paris and all that kind of stuff. And he must have been hurt or something. But at a local L.A. race, McGrath, I expect to see McGrath's name in this, but you don't see it. So,
2: Yeah, good point. Um, you know, when you look at the 88 field, um, it it changes in a hurry. The mid-80s are legendary, right, for, you know, Hannah's still there and O'Mara and Bailey, R.J. Ward, Lachine, Glover. Uh, you know, the, the the mid-80s are just legendary for how stacked the field is. In fact, that 85 season I mean, might, might be the craziest ever, isn't it? I think no one won two races in a row. Yeah. And the points came down super tight at the end, as you talked about. Um, and then a lot of those guys, you know, Bailey goes out. He, he's unfortunately paralyzed, so he's done. And O'Mara starts getting injured, and Glover starts getting injured. And he really just leaves you with Ward Johnson and Lachine. I feel like the late 80s, the sport is in a rebuild. I'm not taking anything away from Johnson, Ward, and Lachine. They're bad dudes. They deserve to win the races. They won. Uh, But you really see when you mention those names in ultra-cross that the sport lost a lot of stars and the new crop wasn't quite there yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Bradshaw wasn't on the radar yet, uh, but he would be soon. Chicken wasn't on the radar yet, but he would be soon. Uh, We didn't even know who MC was. Uh, Larry Ward, all these guys. LaRocco, you know, by 90 – That's what makes that '90 season so legendary. Oh, JMB. JMB is not on the radar. Yeah, 88, 87. um, Great rivalry between Ward and Johnson. But I would think if you were a fan back then, you'd be like, man, this sucks. Like, Hannah's done. O'Mara's done. Glover's hurt. Bailey's out. You'd been waiting for this and it's really interesting to hear those 125 names like yeah. the next group is coming they're yeah. just not there yet
1: no you're 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 right about that leigh yeah. dot com for more information thanks to the folks at max's tires mxsts used by a ray and kate as well uh please check them out great mountain bike tires uh light truck tires and uh and, and dirt bike tires of course mxsts developed by mcgrath speaking of that Greg's Ultra Trick Seats, Guts Racing, up there in NoCal. Pulp 22 is a code to say with guts. They make uh, terrific seats, whether it's uh, the seat covers, the seat, the complete seats, a phantom lightweight seat foam. You can custom design your own seat covers, uh, colors as well on there. Guts Racing, a lot of teams in the pits using guts uh, out there, and uh, the privateer choice for sure. They do a great job. So uh, good work for the folks at Guts for coming on board. And, of course, ProTaper, Scott as well on the Elite uh, Re-Raceables. And uh, 88 LA Coliseum. All right, we each, uh, I think it's time to get uh, Brock Glover on the line to uh, talk about the 88 Coliseum and more. Uh, what do you think? Time for time for Glover?
2: I don't think there's any more we're going to add that he uh, isn't going to. He's going to know more than us, so let's do it.
1: And now, as promised on the Lee at ReRaceables, uh, six-time national champion, the winner of the 88 LA Coliseum Supercross. It's the golden boy, Brock Glover. Brock, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this.
0: Well thank you for inviting me
1: well, you're so hot hey, right you now it. yeah you're so you're hot right. the race. you're so hot right now in the media glover so um
2: <laughs> you're hot Fans love you right now you're 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 probably more popular on the media side than than maybe ever right now willing
0: well, well, it well I'm just riding your coattails really
2: <laughs> so uh it's funny to okay. uh to to watch these shows and see you know uh. You know, I could see what you were learning throughout the day at the first race at uh, Hangtown, but then you watch the show back, and the stuff doesn't show up. Like, it seemed like you knew what you were doing the whole time. I know watching you were learning and trying to pick it up, but there's so much stuff that runs to your head that you're like, oh, i got to learn this, but on the outside, it just seems like a normal day. That's the way I feel about it. I don't know what you felt when you watched it back.
0: Uh, did, when your knees are shaking, does that count? And uh... <laughs> I more, example. You know, I was more nervous, more nervous before that than I was before any race. Maybe as a even as a child, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was challenging. It's uh, especially the first time, you, you know, yeah. calling a, calling a race, looking at a thirty two inch monitor stuck inside of a make a makeshift studio in a trailer. You really, it's not like you're looking out the broadcast window at the track. It's, it's no. it was it was different. So uh, you you guided me well, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I I think afterwards you always have like I should have did this, I should have said that <laughs> but, but you know you live it learn you know who knows, maybe someday I'll get another opportunity. Uh,
1: the so, reason yeah. the reason we wanted to pick this race was a lot of things going on for you. I mean we could have done a number of races, but this one in particular, it was your last supercross or motocross race in America and you went out a winner, which doesn't happy for anybody outside of Carmichael. It was your first win in over three years. It was, yeah, just a real cool story. National number 44 due to injuries, 86, 87. You know, it was a a neat race to win. And then knowing some of the stories you're going to tell here, because we've talked about this in the past, there's so much going on behind the scenes uh, with you and Yamaha around this time. Um, And, you know, I've all heard the story from Peyton as well. But I want to start off with this, Brock, first. This is your quote to Cycle News, our buddy Kit. This is the happiest I can remember being in my whole life," said Team Yamaha's Brock Glover after winning the main event. Now you won a lot, and you had a lot of big moments, and you told Kip Palmer, "This is the happiest I can remember being in my whole life, Brock." Well, that uh, I don't want
0: to. Did I embellish? then? I don't know. I mean, obviously your emotions are running high after that, but it, it had in my career by far you mentioned 86 uh you know by 85 pretty much everybody that had been a rider at yamaha from the bob hannes to the ron lachines to the rick johnsons they had lined up at the exit door and left uh you know for for reasons that you know i don't even have to go into and so i thought being loyal sticking with one brand my whole career would be a really smart thing or just a neat thing to do i guess as much as anything i wanted to do it uh, that was my goal 86 honestly the bikes weren't great uh i'd already been suffering i had a navicular fracture halfway through the 85 season i went through a fence at red bud but I jumped too far and you know didn't thought i sprained my wrist really badly raced another race and next week it hurt really you know quite a bit and i think man this thing's really this is a tough sprain here in my wrist and I'd had it x rayed it didn't show anything, and then by the second week, I knew something was truly wrong, so I had it x again, and it showed the broken navicular, but at that point, I'm leading the Supercross Championship, I'm leading the Outdoor 500 Championships, there's no way I'm giving up my 500 Championships, so I raced one more race on it, and wrapped up the championship, and was able to at least skip the last two rounds to try to let it heal before the final supercross because in those days the races the supercross and the in the outdoor championships it you know commingled with each other and the outdoor chan the last supercross at the rose bowl was uh, i think in august so gave me a little chance to heal but by riding on that injury and keep you know continually aggravating it it really hindered the healing process so it it, it didn't heal properly the first time it tried to heal. So, came back early '86. All it took was landing hard, bottoming the forks on a practice track, and didn't fall anything, and it rebroke the navicular. And once it bro- rebroke it, I was in a cast for, I guess, three or four months at least. So, that season's '86 was done. And then came back in '87, started off, you know, a little rough. I think I ended up if I'm not mistaken, I might have even podiumed Anaheim or something, which was like was unlikely situation. But uh, started working my way back into it, and broke my leg at Hangtown, and then spent another six months, you know, out of racing. So had a really really tough injury prone '86 and '87, and unfortunately for Yamaha, I just signed a new three year contract from '86 '87 through '88, and I, you know, I guess in their defense. Maybe they got tired of paying me and,
1: and <laughs> not getting the results.
0: But you know, they're also in my my opinion and my side of the coin, they were also paying for my past six championships, not counting the trans USA championship, not counting the trans USA in eighty because I'm uh, my McCar to nut my my bike collapsed on the final race when I had about a 15, 20 point lead in the series, and so you know what they were. I didn't feel as I didn't feel that uh, as guilty taking my checks as maybe they being them just to write them. But by the time I came back in '88 again, pretty much everybody had left at one point. Um, our bikes were you know they were behind. I, I was mm-hmm. first to admit it. You know, Yamaha went production bike racing in eighty four, two years before the rule was in effect. So, yeah, I don't think we started off the eighty eight season not as bad as eighty six and eighty seven, but I think we were a little behind the eight ball.
1: Yeah, you made the podium at Hangtown, you made the podium at Lake Sugar Tree outdoors. You know, this was this was a a, a rebuilding year for you uh, after all the things that you just went through. So, but but for you, there was no wins, and you hadn't won since eighty five. So, yep. you know, they the, this 88 Coliseum, uh, yeah, had to feel really, really good. Um, I guess uh, I don't know how much you remember about the race. Dubok took the took the lead early. You you uh, you almost crashed on the last lap when uh, <laughs> landed off a triple. <laughs> I uh, remember that? Yeah, uh, but that. Uh, yeah, but but anyways, in the end, you you take the win, and you get back to the box fan after the win, Brock, your first one since 85 for a team you won six six champions for, and take us through that when you get back to the box van. Well, uh, I'll
0: bring it up to that point okay. a little bit too yeah. as well. All year long I had had the opportunity to ride some different motorcycles, and to be honest with you, when I started the 88 season out uh, at Yamaha, I started the year off and basically said, hey guys, I need a I need a couple of practice bikes to start getting back into shape. I'm ready to go. And they said, okay, we'll just come up and pick up a couple of bikes at Yamaha. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And I showed up, and these two motorcycles were in crates, and they were stock 125. I asked them if I could have a 125 so I could start racing two classes and try to get myself kind of force feed myself back into shape so mm-hmm. i started doing i wanted to do some local races and 125s and 250s and just do double classes until i could ride myself back into into race shape so i and they, they the motorcycles were box stock completely stock and i said well can i at least get some of my handlebars and, and grips i mean it's yeah. it was it was shocking to be honest with you <laughs> it was it was a sort of modified race bike or anything like that yeah and so i i just took the bike i called mitch Payton up and said hey you know i want to go race in some bunch of local races get myself back in shape you know do you have anything for an 88 yz 250 and a 125 and he's like, yeah, sure, we'll do it, you know, we'll port cylinder whatever. So I literally took my motorcycle down to Pro Circuit and had Mitch <laughs> modify the
1: thing. By, by the way, and, by, by the way, too, I was a mechanic. Uh, I, I did many bikes for many riders. Uh, we did not just give them a production motorcycle when they came to the shop for a practice bike. We just, we, did, we didn't no. do that. Hey, Hey, Timmy, hey, Chad. Here's your bike. Uh,
0: can, can you imagine today? You show up and it's just a bike with a right? That's how I did it. And it, it, I, even at that time, it was it yeah. was it was insulting.
1: Yes. And yes.
0: so I took it to Mitch, and I'm like, man, this thing's good. And I remember Mitch coming down. To Carlsbad, and we went and rode this little track we called the Flower Track, and mm-hmm. it was kind of near the Carlsbad Raceway, only not even a quarter of a mile from there, near the entrance to the old track. And it was a it, it was a, a a greenhouse where they grew poinsettias and other plants, you know, around this area, and it was. It was a fun little track that a few of us had permission to ride there, myself, Burnworth, and probably Rick Johnson or whatever, and and a few other local kids. And we would ride there, and Mitch showed up, and we tested the bike and got the thing working, really, but I liked it. So I started racing. You know, I would go up to Ascot on Friday night. I'd drive my truck down by myself, two bikes in the back. I'd drive and stay at the Motel 6 at Carlsbad. I'd go race two two classes on a Saturday motocross at Carlsbad. So I was getting myself back into shape, Mm -hmm. and – when it all you know came around Anaheim comes around and we show up and there's a, you know it's like okay here's our factory bikes the ones that they've done the motors on and man they felt fast no question about it but it didn't take me too long into the year that it's like what is going on i felt so much better in the preseason i felt so much like it's these things are exhausting to ride in 20 laps on this bike and it's your your tongues in the spoke and i it spokes and i didn't really know you know what was happening so much. So finally about halfway through the year I started questioning like we need to do some more testing. This these bikes aren't really that rideable. I started noticing Honda you know, when they'd get to a loamy track, they would use, like, their HRC pipe and some other stuff. But when they would get to a hard pack track, like a Dallas or, a you know, another track, they were using pro circuit pipes. And so I was like, that's interesting. So, of course, I had a few, you know, friends, Rick Johnson and others, that uh, rode. I, I kind of asked him what the deal was. And he told me. And I said, you know what? I kind of noticed that same thing about our bikes. They're not really rideable when it gets on hard pack conditions. So So finally, at the last race, they had let me know. You know, Mickey Diamond had upside down works Kayaba forks on his race bike and his practice bike. I had, <laughs> I had, I, I had never seen been offered and I never took one lap on those front forks. Never never was offered an opportunity. Hey, you know what? These are kind of the trend right now. Everybody's running upside down forks. Look at the Hondas. Look at the other bike. But no, I wasn't even offered to test the things. They were only for Mickey. And I was like, that's that in itself right there. The writing was on the wall that I was done. And so the final race, I said, hey, I got an idea for you. This is my final race, last ditch effort deal. I'd like to. I'd like to have an opportunity to ride the engine package that Pro Circuit built, mm-hmm. and uh, that wasn't received real well. So, but with some, <laughs> I said, you know, why don't why, why don't you let me try? And so they actually put together two motorcycles. This was before you had to. You could actually take two bikes, mm-hmm. and I rode one practice on the Yamaha motor package and one practice on the Pro Circuit package, and they took the lap times before transponder days but they said yeah you were slightly faster on the yamaha and i said okay well i gave it an honest effort on both of them but when i went as fast as i could on the yamaha i think i could do that for about eight laps without being exhausted Mm -hmm. and then on the pro circuit i could ride 40 laps and there's a big difference in how these things are how you can get that fastest lap or how you know can you do it consistently Yep. so they asked me, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to ride the pro circuit bike. It's it's like not to lose. I've raced all season long on the Omaha package. So might as well try something different. And so that's what made me choose the pro circuit package. And, uh,
1: yeah, you, so you think about a hard pack LA Coliseum track, which this was, and yeah, you don't want to be a super fast, you know, light up the rear tire motor, right? You just yeah, it, yeah.
0: absolutely. And you know what? I had a lot of success at the LA Coliseum, I'd won there, you know, multiple times, including the pink riding gear day. So I always felt good at LA Coliseum, and, and that night, I felt I felt pretty good, and I just remember it was kind of an awkward start with a sort of a you know forty five degree corner in the first, and there was a lot of mayhem going on. Doug Dubach got the whole shot who was my teammate and uh, i don 't remember exactly where I came out. I think it was third or fourth or I made it through the crash and, and
1: yeah guy, so. uh, guy Cooper caused the crash we we slowed it up we looked at it. Guy Cooper just uh, took out everybody <laughs> so, <Okay>. uh, <laughs> you, so you got a little lucky, and as the announcers point out, Brock. You know because you uh uh had a worse gate pick, you didn't get a great start, but that actually totally helped you when everybody went down and you were able to sneak around it and uh yeah it's sometimes it's good to be lucky right um
0: yep. and, and be lucky for twenty laps <laughs>
1: yeah yeah absolutely um so
0: you get I'll give you credit for this though uh we were we were joking about how those
2: Coliseum tracks because they wouldn't use the football field there wasn't many areas where you could pass. And one of the few things that anyone could do is just bonsai it, <laughs> like where you came off the peristyle for the last time and back into the stadium floor, yep. uh, which looks super scary. Uh, but you were willing to do that. That was like the one thing you could take advantage of, and you were not afraid to send it. <laughs> it seemed hellaciously fast.
0: Yeah, that was uh, you, you know, those of us who rode that Coliseum track in the days it it, 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 it was interesting. You came out of that it, it, the lighting wasn't good at all, and you were just watch, <laughs> launching almost into the darkness, and all you could see was a stadium. And it's a great big stadium; it's yeah. huge, and, and all you could kind of see is the stadium off in the distance. And it was—you weren't even sure where you were landing half the time. But it was uh, pretty I, cool, I, though. I it,
1: it was pretty cool was feeling, really right? Cool. Yeah, pretty it cool was so feeling. Cool.
0: And plus. I was at the very first LA Coliseum Supercross in like seventy two as a little kid yep. watching Marty Tripes win and so I mean the LA Coliseum was uh, it was the that was where it all began in my eyes. And yeah. So, yeah.
1: Ferry won that Summercross race and he took me around the track with a checkered flag after and uh, <laughs> and so I got to go up the peristyle and down it as a mechanic on the back. that's uh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. That's it, awesome. Yeah. But um so okay, so you win the race, Yamaha's final supercross. Wait, well, I want to hear
2: about this. You remember this near crash at the end? Do remember, remember this?
0: I do. It was just a <laughs> – I don't remember even being a triple. Maybe it was a triple. It was a big jump. I just remember when I landed, the front end bottomed out yeah. pretty hard. And when it bottomed out, the front wheel, for some reason, it just – the whole thing went off to the right, and I was like, "Whoa!" It's
1: like, <laughs> I, don't,
0: I almost face planted because as soon as I landed, it was—I I wasn't sideways when I landed. It just bottomed real hard, and it just yeah. deflect, deflected one way. I think off to the right, and I just remember, "I was like, man, don't you, you got a comfy lead here? Don't be thrown away on the nineteenth lap."
1: So no. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah, I think I—you know—brought it da- back, and you know, down on the floor, and as Steve was mentioning, uh, yeah, they whiskey off afterwards they whisked you off right straight to the press conference and mm-hmm. it was like it wasn't like you went back to your truck and cleaned up it was like hey you got to come to the press box and uh you know you got a press conference yeah. here so and in in those days you went up there and you know maybe Shab Gliff from LA Times was there he was a you know a motorsports sports writer and there was people there and and there was guys from the Orange County Register and they were really legitimate uh, you, you know maybe a local news station they need would do an interview with them here and there and and uh they had few people in the journalists with uh, the industry journalists would ask you questions and things especially in fact it was kind of newsworthy i had like you said i hadn't won in two or three years or and, and so it was it was you know they wanted to ask questions so yeah. that last, lasted probably 20 30 minutes i would think i don't know and uh when i left the LA Coliseum press box and carrying my trophy and walked back when I got back to the Yamaha pits it was ghost town and Jeez. my mechanic and my mechanic who was that was his first year as my mechanic he i mean if people who know me bevo always tells the story you know he laughs because i didn't let anyone touch my goggles i was really picky about it i didn't want lint between my tear offs or whatever and and I, my riding gear was my riding gear i prepped it i didn't have you know i cleaned the helmets i did the gloves i did everything you know i just and so when i got back and my riding gear was all cleaned up all put in my riding gear bag The back of the box van was closed up, and my riding gear was basically sitting on the bumper of the back of the van. And the first words out of my mechanic's mouth were, where were you? I've been been waiting for you. (laughs) And I'm like, I I honestly, I think I was as shocked as anybody. And I'm like, I don't, I was at the press conference.
1: I won. (laughs) I won. And
0: yeah, that was that was one of those things. And it's like, sorry. And, um, and to this day, as much as I still am friends with Mike Chavez and I, I gave him the trophy from that night. Cause I thought, you know what, you, he had never won any sort of AMA pro race or anything. And I gave him my trophy and I regret that only because not because he has it because he still has it to this day. And he, I don't call it cherish. I'm putting words in his mouth. And I know he, Wants to, he loves having that trophy and I appreciate it. But I always told him, if you ever, ever, I would love to have that back. It was my last AMA pro race ever. And it's one that I would cherish to this day, no question. And, you know, I, and I know where it is and I, and I'm okay with him having it, of course, because I gave it to him. But it was one of those, one of those things that I kind of wish I had back. But,
1: um, but no, uh, no Yamaha management, no celebration, no. Every nothing. single
0: person, <laughs> other than other than John. Mike, every single person, every vehicle, everything was gone. <laughs> the heck, yeah, I know, gone, yeah. gone. I don't think anybody was really particularly. They weren't, didn't seem excited about it at all. And so that was my very last, very last race, very last any interaction whatsoever and i grabbed my riding gear and you know yeah i i, re- I ran solo i mean most people had know me i ran solo anyhow it wasn't like i had an entourage so um, i just i'm walking back through the pits carrying my gear and trophy and, or carrying my gear not my trophy and heading back to san diego <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh Peyton Peyton said that uh they they took you out or they had a meal or you guys went to dinner or something after this. He said, "Well, yeah, he it, said he felt pretty it, bad." <laughs>
0: yeah, well, it was Anybody that's ever hung out, especially with Mitch in the early days, it, it was more than just going out for a meal. So well, was... I, didn't, I,
1: didn't, I didn't really want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, it was one of the I, very memorable, me, very memorable evening for me, no question. So, no, I went back and I think Mitch is like, hey, hey, you won. I'm like, yeah, yeah. he goes, where are you going? Where are you going? And I'm like, uh, I'm going home, back yeah. to San Diego. No, you're not. <laughs> I go, you're not. <laughs> no you're not so bottom line was they go you're not driving back to san diego right now by yourself after that no way yeah and they go well what do you got planned he goes we're going somewhere he goes come on follow us so an entourage of about five or six cars tried to figure out where to go somewhere to go get something to eat or to go and have fun and i think what we ended up doing was uh driving down i think we ended up honestly like at a denny's and like in norwalk (laughs) and somehow somehow bones being the the uh guy he is he he uh he ends up i I don't know i think maybe a couple of 12 packs of coors lights might have showed up and uh and (laughs) we in. we went and ate at denny's and then we sat in that parking lot for at least another hour afterwards and i think we rolled out of there about three o'clock in the morning laughing and carrying on but uh yeah mitch was mitch pro circuit mitch and, and the boys were my celebration after that
2: nice uh we we are totally confused as to how you have a contract that ends in june when the racing series goes on for several more months and by the way brock i don't you don't need me to remind you that you were very good at the 500 nationals but you just did
0: not race them Like, (laughs) how did that
1: happen? We're so confused. Because even David Stanfield says on the show, Brock's contract with Yamaha ends in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, wait. We're both like, wait. The Nationals are coming up for the 500s.
0: Actually, factually, I'm guessing my contract into December thirty first. This was before the October contracts. Of the the yeah. current state when people do that right when the model year basically comes out. I I honestly to this day have no clue how. I don't think I ever raced. I don't think I ever raced another five hundred national after I won the championship in eighty five. I don't know. You have to look. I guess we have to look. But I don't recall wow. ever racing another five hundred no, national after eighty five.
1: Uh, you didn't, and but it just why? doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you like don't know you're...
0: why? I have no idea why.
1: <laughs>
0: and I don't know why. I do... Did Yamaha field? Did... Maybe one of the years Yamaha didn't field 500 riders because we had the 490s still and everything had kind of yeah. moved on. No, they did. Stanton, Stanton race, 88. 88? Yeah, he did <laughs> We'll have to ask Jeff. He might have done it as a private tour. Did it
1: maybe did he do it as a factory rider? I don't know. Yeah, I mean he was on a Yamaha, I don't
2: know. Yeah. Maybe it was a little more on his own. I don't know. I don't know. I never it, thought of it that way.
1: So but you, in, you podium 19- you podium two nationals in two fifty motocross in eighty eight and you're riding and you're going into the five hundreds. One would think you have a good chance of making more podiums or a race winning in eighty eight on a YZ four ninety. I don't, I, yeah, it's bizarre, but yeah, maybe Stanton ended up, maybe they say, hey, Stanton, take a bike and pay your own expenses and it's fine. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really honestly don't know. And then Yamaha. I don't think then later on, didn't they do when Bradshaw came up and didn't they do that with Dubak and Bradshaw, that WR look? Oh, Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that,
0: it,
1: that, that, that,
0: did that go a whole season, or did they finally give up on that one? No,
1: they did like that a, for one or two years, and then they dropped Damon down to 125s. D- D- Doug and Damon did 125s in '93 okay. uh, when the, when the 500 right. started. So, it, yeah, it yeah. was it was a weird deal, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a great way to go out with the win with Yamaha, a, a manufacturer that you'd won so much for and done so much for, and it's a weird way to go out where it's like. Yeah, well, just you're done, and you're done, and we're done with you, and see you later. Like, yeah, yeah. It was,
0: it was, it was not how I ever envisioned it. And if it were, if I knew that's that was how it would have been, I mean, two two different times in my career, I literally had signed contracts from another brand. And all I had to do was put my name on it, mm-hmm. and I was—I wanted to be loyal, and they were the brand you wanted to be on. And I, yeah, if I knew if that, I could have fast forwarded to '88. I would have been gone so fast. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to tell you. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, 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 am kind of marveled at it. To be honest, I, I, I don't know what. I'm sure they were bitter about it, uh, but they were thinking. But I looked back, and I. I looked back just really recently in the last month or so. Um, I think in '88 I finished fourth in the Supercross Championship. Is that do you know that, Steve? You you know all those facts.
1: Uh, yeah. I I think uh '88. Uh, yeah, fourth in Supercross, fifth in Outdoors.
0: How close was I to third?
1: Um, you know,
0: because I I, I, I look myself. I'm
1: Twenty-eight points. Twenty-eight points from Wardy. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. So. Yeah. Wardy, so Wardy was third in the championship yep and, in and in Dogger
1: Dogger was second and
0: then and Ronnie, so did Cowie almost fire Wardy after finishing? Yeah, third yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> they did. <laughs> I, I they, should, they sure should have. After he won, like, I'm sure there was so nobody.
1: So after he won, I'm sure there was nobody in the van or anything. Nobody cared. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So in '88, then who finished? Who is the next best Yamaha in '88 Supercross series?
1: Well, I'm sure it was uh, six time. Uh, well, I don't
2: know Diamond, but you were ahead of him, that's for sure. I can look it up right here. No,
1: yeah, no, um, yeah. It, look was, up the it was. It was. It was Dubok. Yeah. It was Dubok. Dubok. Oh God.
0: Dubach was what ninth or tenth? Ninth, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then where was where were the rest of them? Where were the rest uh, of the
1: guys? Stanton was tenth. Diamond was twelfth.
0: And so Stanton signs with Honda the end of '88 and wins the championship in '89, right? Yep. 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 Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs>
1: All
0: right. So um, it goes from tenth, tenth to first in one year.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. That's right. <laughs> no, it, it really, really was uh, quite a. Uh, Quite a weird deal, for sure. Thanks, uh, thanks to Leah, Pro Taper Max's Guts, and Scott, all on board here with Brock Glover. Uh, Brock, I wanted to touch on this while we can. You, you've talked about before looking up to Marty Smith, right? San Diego's own Marty Smith, and he showed you the way, and, and he was your hero. And then Rick has talked about looking up to you and, and leaning on you for advice at the early days at Yamaha. And Ronnie talked about leaning on Rick and looking up to Rick and, and leaning on him for advice. It was incredible uh, lineage at El Cajon and the, the champions it produced. But my, my question is, as the and, and we've heard this from Stanton and RJ. Uh, RJ is pretty honest about it when, when Jeff you know started taking over. When RJ started surpassing you when he went to Honda and became the best rider in the world, how was that relationship now between you two? Like, Were you a little bit like, huh, this kid that I've helped along the way? Uh, you know, is, is better than me in winning titles. How was that relationship uh, around then?
0: You, you know what? It was always, uh, I, uh, Ronnie and Rick had a couple of yep. years there that were, the, <laughs> right. yeah. and but I never had that with either of those guys. I was always kind of the older statesman, but Rick and I would known each other. I think I met Rick when I was 12 or 13, before I ever started racing. And Rick was racing minibikes because he started racing, I think, at three or four. But I knew, and it was to go, my my dad and I would go hang out at their house and just chat and, you know, to, the dads would got to BS and yeah. and I'd race around his yard on his. Um, I always borrow his bikes. Cause I didn't have any mini bikes. And, and, uh, you know, so I, I was with Rick from the, I mean, uh, when he was 13 years old, I remember it was a funny story, but I got a call from our Yamaha. I mean, Rick went to San Antonio with me in 77. My dad and I, and Rick drove, my dad bought Rick Johnson's dad's van mm. basically for that trip. And the three <laughs> of us drove all the way to San Antonio from San Diego together and if you look at some of the old pictures you'll see a 13 year old rick johnson standing right next to me at the finish line and uh, rick was my my practice and sparring partner for like a week week and a half before the race because i we went down early to get used to the heat and try to get some laps on that track and and uh, so rick when he turned 13 he started growing like a weed he went from like being a mini bike 80 rider to being way too tall and his father kind of said hey look you got to." You got to decide between these mini bikes and the 125s. Can't afford them both, and and at that point, I just I loaned Rick one of my practice bikes, and I remember getting a call from our, our Yamaha our liaison engineer that worked from he was from Japanese man. He's like, who's Rick Johnson? And I'm like, what do you mean? Who's Rick Johnson? He says, uh, what do you mean? I knew I was in something was, <laughs> up. and he says, he's from your town. And I'm like, okay, what did he do? What, like, where, Keep going, keep going. Give me a little more so I can, I can figure out how to f- f- fib my ways out of this thing or whatever. And so he says, uh, His motorcycle has a OW carburetor and and cylinder on it. And I said Oh (laughs) Oh, okay. Because huh. it was it was pretty plain as day. The yeah. OW cylinder had solid fins, and the production one had some brakes in the fin. And, and the carburetor had OW stamped on it with, with a little tool. And uh, so I said, "You
1: like, might um, call the, the you, cops. Someone stole the bike." Sure,
0: I said, <laughs> "Are you sure it's his motorcycle?" And the guy says, "What?" I said, "Did you look more closely? It's not his motorcycle. It's mine." And I said, "Yeah, I loaned it to him. Sorry." I go, "He's pretty fast, huh?" And he go, "I go, he'll be good." And we're we should be happy he's on a Yamaha. So. He, he did, He after that kind of ended it and they right. they let so rick rode my practice bikes for quite a while until his dad finally was able to buy him one and it was about 15 years later rick was able to repay that favor in 1990 and uh i got to borrow one of his hondas for a little bit but uh that's uh, another that's another yeah. story but uh yeah so
1: but, it, yeah so never and, never and never any you know because because you know rj talks about when Stanton took over after he broke his wrist, he, you know, yeah. felt a little bitterness, felt a little anger, yeah. a little jealousy. He he talks about openly about that, and yeah. uh, but for that, never never in your in your case with him.
0: No, I'll tell you what. The only jealousy I felt was the miracles. The-
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, I always felt Rick. It was always funny because Jim felt was my mechanic, and he's kind of better known as being Johnny's can't mechanic. But Jim felt was my mechanic. From the end of 1976 with Yamaha all the way until 1980 when he got in an argument with our team manager and they fired him, and that's the championship. I, t- I was telling you that he uh, – I know that nut would have never fallen off as Jim was still working on my bike, so we would have had one more extra Trans Am championship. But the but the point being is that Jim always told me, hey, be careful with this kid. Pretty soon he's going to be knocking on your door. You know, he's, yeah. In other words, he's, you're going to be racing him. And I'm like – I mean, he's got the talent and Rick and I laugh about it. Like, yeah, maybe I got Rick to the top a little faster than he would have got, but he would have gotten there. And it was just, I just maybe got him there a little quicker. And so, it's nothing that, you know, it's, I thought it was always kind of cool that three kids growing up in El Cajon neighbors could all make it to the top. And, and I know at one point, I remember, remember Moto Fair, you know, the, mag- yeah. the French magazine. I think it's the oldest dirt bike magazine in the world, actually. And every year they had an annual is- issue that kind of ranked the riders of motocross in the world. And, uh, and it, it was, I don't think they really focused on Supercross so much. It was just motocross because they wanted to make sure they would include the Europeans. And and I think that one year when I was on my hottest time, probably in 85, whatever it was, I just remember that issue. I was, they were ranked number one. And I think Rick and, and Ronnie were two and four or something, like three guys in the top four rankings in their magazine, the French yeah. magazines, in the world, all were neighbors in El Cajon. So pretty pretty crazy pretty crazy to think that so I always want to know what the
2: atmosphere was there like uh, we got this weird situation where all these riders moved to Florida but they all moved there because that's where their tracks are Alden Baker's track and etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, like how close were you like literally would you bump into each other at lunch did you bump into each other did you ride the same tracks like are you in the same neighborhood like I'm so curious on what that 80 Southern California life uh, was like with the three of you guys and a couple other fast guys from the area too.
0: Rick's parents house was not a, less than a mile from my house and then when Rick was got old enough to buy his own house, he bought a house two doors down from my mom where I grew up. Huh. And that was only a mile from where I lived. So no, yeah, we were, Rick and I particularly, Ronnie lived Oh, he was way away. He was like two miles away, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, Ronnie went to high I there was we were right on the edge of a high school. So I went to Valhalla High School and Rick went to Valhalla, but Ronnie went to Granite Hills High School, which was also where my oldest brother and sister went to. So my mom was technically in the Granite Hills School District, but since we had started at the other school, I stayed over there. So point was we were all in the same neighborhood, no question about it. And wow. when when Ronnie was riding MR fifties, my My dad helped his dad like modify his front forks to have more travel and they made a special bronze bushing to make the things have more overlap yeah i've known ronnie since he's been riding mr 50s and ronnie's father when i was racing and growing up riding honda elsinore 125s in like 1975 it was hard to have a bike that would stay together those 125s wouldn't stay together so ronnie's father dick uh he loaned me. He was a, He had a Honda dealership in in kind of Honda Lemon Grove. He loaned me a Honda two hundred and fifty that to go practice on. So yeah, we are all super intertwined.
1: And, and this yeah. is this is the time I believe that you and Rick split the cost on a supercross track on a private supercross track. Right? Was it eighty eight? Yeah, we yeah. did.
0: It, yeah, we did that actually a little bit earlier. Yeah, right about eighty seven or eighty, somewhere. yeah, we yeah. did. Absolutely. We had a mutual friends that, uh, my mom worked for their company and then they had a ranch outside of El Cajon, actually in the hometown where Scott Vernworth was from, which is another Scott Vernworth went to the same high school I went to. So I got to throw him in there. Yeah. And so, you know, he was my teammate in, in Yamaha. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, Scott was another one of those really fast mini bike runners that grew up with Ronnie and Rick. And, and, uh, so, yeah, so we all had this uh, some a ranch that uh, in Hamul, california right outside el cajon and uh rick and i we built a full supercross track on it because honda had honda land and all these other companies had their own tracks but we didn't have anything at yamaha so rick and i went together
1: uh this this is we also talked about how this was the third round of the super crown of stadium motocross series mickey thompson only races so anaheim one or Anaheim this year in '88 didn't count for anything outside of this super crown of stadium motocross, and it was the, the AMA series, uh, was only 10 rounds. Can you imagine that, Brock? Our guys showing up now at Anaheim, everybody there, a full race, but no, it doesn't really count for the AMA championship. <laughs> but-
0: that's what one of the San Diegos was CMC sanctioned. Yeah, yeah. San yeah. Diego is also not part of the ABA. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. I think I won that time too in San Diego. It was full blown Qualcomm San Diego oh, Jack right. Stadium, whatever you want. It was a full Supercross. Nobody except. The few people, the writers, even knew that it was, oh, this is not an AMA Supercross. This is a CMC (laughs) sanctioned. Yeah, because the AMA, and then in 85, that's when it broke up. Was it called InSport? There was so much political infighting going on at that time. The promoters, it was just not yeah it was the politics behind the scenes at those time between the promoters and the sanctioning bodies, yeah, and don't forget also that was at the same time when the manufacturers actually i believe the AMA tried to sue them back for collusion because the they felt the manufacturers were kind of teaming up against the AMA and it was a whole ugly time yeah, and then,
1: mickey and Mickey and his wife get murdered. I mean, yeah. Dude, it, yeah. Was,
0: it was, <laughs> people don't, yeah. People, if you didn't grow up in that era, it, it's almost like you had to refresh my memory, but yeah, it, it triggers a lot of crazy thoughts.
1: It's just crazy well, that. that's so yeah. what we did.
2: Like, people think that there's, you know, politics all the time, but I'm like, dude. There's been way
0: crazier stuff going on in Supercross than anything we've seen <laughs> yeah. lately. Not even close. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really crazy. Really uh, crazy. Another
1: yeah. another fun story from this race, Brock, is uh, uh, we had Doug Dubok on the Pulp Show a few weeks ago. And this is Dubok's first ever podium, right? And he, good job. He was a support rider for Yamaha, not a factory guy like you. And he told the story that after that press conference, after going up with you to talk to the media, he comes back and at the back of his doors of his box fan are closed. And in the back of it is Jim Hawley uh, with a um, with a friend <laughs> with a friend and Dubok couldn't get in his own female box bed. Yeah, female friend. And and, and, and Th-
0: thanks for painting that
1: picture, Weege. Yeah, 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 just to make sure. Um, so yes, also, so Jim Hawley is also a star of this three Raceables because Dubok said he had to wait to get in his own van so yeah oh my goodness <laughs> yes uh, yeah. Yeah. trust me
0: trust me you don't want to be standing outside of your box man down where the la Coliseum yeah. is located in the 80s at, at, at one o'clock in the morning no at 30 at yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that could that could not end will
1: no no so uh <laughs> that's, anything that's else anything else yeah, story yeah it's it's great anything else for brock glover weege about this race
0: uh, no,
2: I mean, not uh, this race. We could have you on seven more episodes here for, for all the other stories. Mean, we are starting to spill over into all those other things. Um, but for this race, uh, I think we're good. I, I'm glad it does stand out. Okay, you downplayed a little bit the greatest feeling in your life, but it does sound like it was a pretty big deal uh,
0: yeah.
2: that you won. It. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I, again, I was super fortunate to have a career that I had in, in I. I to be able to win your last AMA Pro race you've ever raced, Supercross or Motocross, and then I had the same similar situation when I did the Dexter win went in the last race at the Belgian Grand that uh, Angro and and so yeah, it's pretty hard to do that. And I yeah. I know that that helmet that I wore that night it was kind of a fun one that Troy Lee had done up for me, and that ended up in uh, I think I I, get, I I have it on loan. So Troy has it in his lobby at the Troy, oh, okay. Troy Lee, Troy Lee designed so that helmet I wore
1: that night, the forty four helmet was up there. You uh yeah, you're your I made a mention of this on the show. Your look is phenomenal in eighty eight. Pink, blue, the the custom helmet. You you look good in eighty seven, it was a blue and white thing, you won a lot of blue. Uh, eighty six was red and white J T stuff. Uh, but your eighty eight look, uh, I got a photo, I posted it on social. Holtner's got a photo of you. Really, really strong lit kit. Uh, absolutely yeah, looking great. So, there is. Well, that. that gives me gives me
0: an idea. I'll have to go to my at mx golden boy Instagram and throw one of those photos up one of these days. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> nice. I, to, to me they all kind of run together. But if you think it's if it's that you you liked it, I'll take your no, word for it. No, yeah, it, it, it was
1: an, it was an all time lit kit for sure. Well, uh, hmm. thanks Brock. Thanks for the time on the Lee at Reraceables. Great race. Your final one in professional motocross, and you like you go out a winner. And really, really cool to uh to have you on talking about it. So um yeah, thanks, man.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you guys. See you soon.
1: Now it's time for the Liet Re-Raceables categories. We do this every single show. Uh 88 Coliseum. Uh again, thanks to Liat, Pro Taper Scott, Maxis, Guts, all on board with us. Um let's do this, we each categories. Uh LA uh eighty eight supercross. Who really won the race? Who really won the race here? Um, well. What do you think, Weech? There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. It's there's got, no doubt. There's no. It's got to be Brock. Yeah. He. Oh yeah. He he justified himself. You know, it's his last race. He 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 showed he could still do it. Uh, all of that stuff. A veteran rider, best race of the year. Um, R.J. does a great charge to fifth. But yeah, Brock Glover.
2: Yeah, it's it's amazing that it, you know if if the only reason this race is talked about it is because Glover wins. You yeah. know if Lachine won it, who got second? or Johnson won it, uh, it wouldn't have been a big deal. That's what makes this so cool. And I do want to give him credit. You know, we said there's not a lot of passing on this track. Almost all you could do, so you got to the bottom of that peristyle, you could just take an unbelievable oh, risk and could just, like, upshift.
1: Yeah, you could just send it, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, he was willing to do that, so he he earned it.
1: Yep, all yep. right. Fair enough. Uh, who's that guy award? Well, we talked earlier in the show about Paul Wynn on a Suzuki getting second. In uh, 125s, <laughs> um, I could go Paul Wynn, but I've heard of him before because he was in some ads. I think for JT Gear, like uh, he he wow. he was somewhat in an ad. Wow. So if I go 125s, 14th place, Paul Vlach, 14th place, <laughs> right behind Chris Young, ahead of Phil Lawrence. I'll go Paul Vlach. I could go Brent Weinland. Um, Patrick Bennett, Nicky Pounds I've heard of. So, yeah, I I guess Paul Vlatch and 14 Pounds? Nicky Pounds, yeah, yeah.
2: You you've heard of Nicky Pounds from what?
1: <laughs> no, from motocross, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, great 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 uh, longevity for Nicky Pounds. Um Is that a lot of tapes? Yeah. Uh but if you want to go 450s, I can't really I, it's everybody. Twenty guys. Uh, Robert Naughton might be the most unheard of guy, but I've heard of Robert Naughton, of course. He was a one twenty-five Supercross guy. Uh, so there's nobody. Yeah, in, Naughton. Yeah, yep. there's nobody in um, in two hundred and fifty class that would be a who's that guy award. Shout out to Tyson Volen for tenth. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go. Yep. I'll go that right.
2: I'll go with Paul Wynn. That's still impressive. No, group that he's okay. around. And I did not remember him from the JT ads. Yeah. Yep.
1: So. yep. Some sort of what did co- he get? second? Second. Yeah, second. Beat beating Kardowski, Well, of course Kardowski came from the back, but he beat Mike Craig. Beat Danny Stevenson. Yeah. So Larry Ward? Beat Larry Ward. So Yeah. All right. That's um, a win, Paul Wynn. I don't know if it was JT for sure, but it was a clothing company that put Paul Wynn in their ads. Um Lit Kid Award, again, yeah. there is no doubting this. There's no debate. There's no nothing. Brock Glovers. 88 look I've said it over and over and and when he uh, I've got photos from um, Haltner as well some great photos I've posted over the years Brock is in pink and and an aqua blue and helmet I mean it is JT it is just it is exquisite it is it should be in a museum Brock lovers look this year Serrano helmet um yes
2: you know I'm not a JT guy I know I'm not a JT guy But the stuff does look good. The the pink I always thought was a a bit of a weird gimmick, but it does look good. Uh, If I had to pick something else just to be different than you, uh, I I think O'Mara and his uh, answer stuff back then was pretty hot. But uh, I want to change this up a little bit. I will agree. I think Glover had the best stuff. But can I do a non-lit kit? Can I do like the extinguished kit like it wasn't lit?
1: Yes, yes. What, What do you got? Okay,
2: Thor and Brooks. That stuff was terrible. That is, I, I believe this is Fast Boys. It looks so bad. Oh! I've always wow. wanted to go off on this Thor-era gear, and this is my chance. It looks so bad, dude. Uh, the, I disagree the, with you. The RoboCop-looking chest protector.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. chest pro is not good, but I disagree with you. I like this. It's, it was actually – it was it was Hallman back in, I think. It was, oh, no, this was Thor. This was Thor by 88. Um, Okay. But right. uh, I disagree. I, I look. I'm not giving it a lick kit, but uh, I'm okay with it. Like I'm, I'm fine with it. But um, that well, really? I just outs, remember the outside iconic of
2: ad of these guys with yeah. the gear hanging out, hanging on the chain link fence, and I'm like, no, oh the, my god, you're showing this off.
1: This is before Fast Boys. Brooks is not running Fast Boys in '88. This is right before Fast Boys. Uh, so it's black. <laughs> it's getting close to Fast Boys. It is. It is. But uh, and and I'll and I'll say that chest protector was hideous. Yep. But I I just I don't know if I could do that. But okay.
2: You you can't slam it like that. Now, Thor would come around. they They do great stuff later on, but uh, I never understood the Fast Boys ad, which Brooks was in. I think with Amig and a couple other guys. I'm like, oh, my God, they're so pumped on this.
1: (laughs) Uh, And they brought it back. They um, did. I know. Two years ago. And and I ripped them for it. I'm like, if you have nice-looking gear, Thor, and you choose the Fast Boys look, this is what you chose? You chose Fast Boys? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It did somehow. I don't know how they did it. They made the modern gear look like the old stuff, but it wasn't as hideous. Like two years ago, it wasn't yeah. as bad. Maybe, maybe because of the chest protector. <laughs> yeah, maybe just getting rid of the chest protector.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that was yeah. it. Um, yeah. All right, uh, next category, Liat Uh Where's JT? Where's Jason Thomas? Well, we know where JT is. It's on. It's on Brock Glover and looking good. The gear. Uh, where's Jason Thomas in '88? I think he. It, how old is he at this point? Ten? Five? five, nine. Uh, well. Nine. Yeah, in '89, we know he was on the floor in um, Atlanta. Um, so yeah. yeah, he's he's not in Coliseum though. But maybe maybe Cindy's there. Maybe Frank's there. I, I don't know. But
2: <clears throat> you know, JT, you know, you think you know a guy, and then he reveals these things about himself, even though you've known him for 25 years, yeah, yeah. And I've spoken to him every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you hear JT a couple weeks ago just being like, "Oh yeah, I played baseball nonstop, hardcore baseball as a kid." And I'm like, what? Yeah. What? you and Frank had this baseball thing going on the side. Uh. So I would assume he was playing Little League. That's where JT was in the summer of 88.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, very odd. Yeah, again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the Jacob Marsak Award for the guy who did the best without you uh, really noticing this. Um, you know, I might go Tyson Volan. I'm perusing his um, vault, and yep. it's one of his best Supercross finishes in 250 class. He got a ninth in 87. Yeah. Uh, But the 10th place is one of his best finishes indoors. You can tell Tyson, uh, of course, older brother to Talon and uncle to Max Voland. You can tell Tyson uh, is much better uh, outdoors than in. And this 10th place is one of his best results. So I might go Tyson Voland. You?
2: Yeah, in a 250 Supercross. Yeah, I didn't didn't know he had a top 10 in a 250 Supercross. So that's good. Uh, I will go with Kalos. Uh, uh, this is a tie for his career best. He's had two fourths. He gets a fourth on this night. He gets a fourth in Pontiac the next year. Um, so that's a tie for a career best. Kalos was good. I don't know, you know, not being on the scene back then. Was he another, like, had the talent, didn't quite get there guy?
1: Yeah. It seemed yeah. like there
2: was a lot of yeah. Kalos hype, you yep, know. Yep. And he did a factory Yamaha ride, so they must have been counting on him.
1: No, yeah, yeah, really, really good amateur ride and a lot of hype and some good rides here and there, but never – I would say that he would agree – Never reached his potential. Of course, um, uh, eight years after this, I would go on to wrench for him for Sean Kalos. What? Yes, you knew this. Really? Yes. Oh, I did know this. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, PJ1? PJ1, yes. Uh, PJ1. Sean's last yeah. year of professional racing, yes.
2: He didn't have the bus by then, did
1: he? No, no, he was not in the bus. We were in a Dodge uh. dually with a trailer. Uh, but really nice guy. Really, really cool. I still follow him on social media, on Instagram. So he's doing well, it looks like, uh, in Arizona. So, um, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, good good career for Sean Kalos. Went to Europe for a little while. Um, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I didn't realize this was his... He never made the podium, huh? Oh, okay. No, I guess no, not. It has yeah. two...
2: Fourth and a fifth, I think. Oh, okay. So this is a tie for his career best. So good on you, Sean Kalos.
1: All right, uh, that's the re-races, re-raceables, uh, 1988, uh, L.A. Coliseum. Um, thanks to Brock Glover for joining us, of course, and, and Weej. Thank you as well. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, yeah, uh, good times. Thanks, Weej.
2: Thanks to Jim Holly. I think my favorite part of this whole show
1: <laughs>
2: is really the dewbox story. Yeah. I mean, congrats, Glover. Good on you. You got a win. That's awesome. It's amazing. But Jim Holly, everybody, it, it, I got to borrow your box fan.
1: It's, it never stops. Freaking
2: classic. It never stops. It's just, yeah. no, it's just Plus it's L.A. I mean, you know, the Jim had many options.
1: Oh yeah, I know you, you. You know that for sure. I mean, you can. This is
2: a home game. You know what? A home game. That's only really the one Glover or sorry, Duboc knew about because the race was over. It, it might have been just going on during the main too.
1: Right, right. Here, here we got a comment from Jim as well. I'd fly the girls in from L.A., boy. And... Yeah, there we go. He fly the girls in from LA. So
2: Oh God. Yeah. Oh, Jim, you're amazing. Oh, uh,
1: it's great. All right. Yeah, uh, I'm good dude. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for uh listening, everybody, and thank you, Weech. Talk to you soon, man.
0: Alright, see ya.